The entire debate over intervention in Syria hinges on a notion of international norms and some self-evident morality regarding the use of chemical weapons, a morality espoused yesterday by Secretary of State John Kerry speaking before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. This debate is about the world's red line. It's about humanity's red line. And it's a red line that anyone with a conscience ought to draw. Although one is compelled to ask, where were the consciences drawing those same lines when these weapons were first invented, created, and tested? Surely one doesn't need physical confirmation that a weapon that kills people by the tens of thousands, that clears cities of populations by causing quick and painful deaths, would raise a few moral problems. The irony is that the category of weapons called WMD were all devised with some moral notion in mind. Nuclear bombs were used on Japan, we were told, to prevent the greater loss of life that would have come from a full-scale invasion. Chemical and biological weapons were devised to eliminate whole armies while leaving the cities they were defending intact. The neutron bomb of the 1980s was a nuclear version of such a weapon, small blast but high doses of radiation. It would kill people while leaving buildings standing. Here's the inventor of the neutron bomb, physicist Sam Cohen, in an interview just before he died in 2010. Real early on, I began to see radiation, nuclear radiation, as an effective means of waging ground warfare in a relatively moral way. It's not about logic, and it's not about rationality. It's not even about sanity. Insane, perhaps, because the temptation to use such weapons, like neutron bombs, chemical warfare agents, on large civilian populations is just too great. Hence, the atrocity in Syria. Joining us now is Joseph Cirincioni, president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation. Joe, welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's almost a demented logic that created these weapons and then causes them to be used against civilian populations since that was never the original rationale. Yeah, these weapons were designed to try to take out large numbers of troops. So chemical weapons, for example, were introduced in World War II, where they worked in trench warfare. These are heavier than air weapons, so clouds of poisonous gas would spread across the battlefield, descend down into the trenches. But they only work that well when you have these mass concentrations of, uh, of, of populations, either civilian or, or military. They don't work very well in modern mechanized, rapidly moving warfare, which is why you saw chemical weapons uh, being abandoned by most militaries around the world. So they have a utility in uh, clearing populations of cities. The neutron bomb was invented long after we understood that chemical agents weren't terribly useful in World War One. Yeah, the neutron bomb, some people called that the capitalist bomb. It would kill people but leave buildings standing. Uh, the idea behind both biological and chemical weapons was both mass killing uh, and uh, that it would have a terror aspect. I mean, just the idea of poisons or viruses, things you can't see or smell or touch but could still kill you, spreads terror throughout the population. It's one of the reasons that we have the prohibition against these weapons. As Secretary uh, Hagel said yesterday in Senate testimony, the chemical weapons are an assault on humanity. There are very few countries in the world that still have either biological or chemical weapons. You are a member of Secretary of State John Kerry's International Security Advisory Board, and uh, you advise him on matters like this. Is it your impression 
that we've reached some point in humanity where these weapons are not even on the drawing board anymore? Or is it possible that there are still weapons designers out there somewhere looking at ways of depopulating entire cities in some future scenario of war using nuclear, chemical or biological agents? There's probably some scientists still working on things like recombinant DNA and using that to explore the possibility of a new biological agent. But it's nothing like what we went through in the middle of the 20th century. You have to remember that the United States used to have the largest and most effective stockpile of biological weapons ever invented. We had enough toxins and viruses to kill every man, woman, and child on the planet. We gave them up voluntarily, unilaterally. President Nixon decided in the late 1960s that we shouldn't have these biological weapons. In fact, that nobody should have them. And he organized what's called the Biological Weapons Convention, banning it. We gave up our stockpiles. Almost all countries in the world did. The same happened with with chemicals. We we are destroying the 30,000 tons of these things we built during the the Cold War. The Russians are destroying the 40,000 tons they built. You're really down to a handful of nations, maybe some isolated scientists still working on this, but it's the exception, whereas it used to be the norm for major powers. We're talking with the Joseph Cirincioni, president of the Plowshares Fund. Uh, Joe, you know, I, I remember the famous scene from the movie uh, Dr. Strangelove, where there was a, a crazed scientist based on certain true characters, I won't go into them now, who who described a kind of strategic utility in striking first, in wiping them out using conventional nuclear weapons. I say conventional, but they were talking nuclear weapons. Is there a strange Lovian kind of scenario that you've ever heard of in the government involving biological, uh, chemical agents, neutron bombs, even outside of the United States? Well, there, there are really gradations of this. They're all lumped into this category of weapons of mass destruction, but it's a little misleading. Chemical weapons can kill thousands, even tens of thousands, but it requires massive amounts of that, of those weapons, hundreds of planes, for example, to do a mass strike. Biological, a, le- a step up, but still very difficult to deliver. It's hard to, to, to have a, a biological weapon really kill uh, thousands or even tens of thousands of people. Nuclear weapons are really in a class by themselves. One bomb, one city wiped out. Finally, as we contemplate much of this century in front of us, in the middle of this Syrian crisis now being debated on Capitol Hill, is it your view and the view of Plowshares Fund that sometime in this century humanity will cross one of these red lines? <sighs> well, it's, that's the risk. I think as as we reduce our chemical and biological stockpiles down to just handfuls of these weapons held by a few countries, the risk that those will be used is decreasing. And, and part of the Syrian conflict is all about getting those last holdouts to give up these weapons. But nuclear weapons, you know, one mistake, you can lose a city. So until we get down to very low numbers of, of nuclear weapons, there is a continues to be a danger that uh, that these weapons can be used. Historically, the global trends are away from these weapons, fewer of these weapons, fewer countries with these weapons. I actually think that during this century, we're going to see the, the end completely of chemical and biological weapons. And over the next few decades, see nuclear weapons go down to just a handful and eventually zero. There's a positive note. Joseph Cirincioni, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, John. 
Joseph Cirincioni is president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts. 